Good morning, Harlem. Do you feel the spirit here this morning? I know I do. Uh, I just want to give a big thanks to the entire Harlem ministry here. Uh, Tam and I have enjoyed ourselves uh, immensely uh, being here this week. We actually came in early on Tuesday so that uh, we can enjoy uh, some of the city and some of the time together. We like to do that when we travel. Uh, but, and I know two things for sure about my time here is that I have gained some friends and I've gained some weight. I hope to keep the friends and I hope to lose the weight. I got to get back to Atlanta for y'all kill me. All the food I've eaten, I've been here, has been so tremendous. I want to thank uh, James and Zalika so much for your hospitality uh, and for your leadership. I want to tell you, they, they love you. Man, they love you to death. And uh, they've talked to us about so many of the different members here. Every time I walk in, I feel like I, I, I encounter the people they just told me about. And they've introduced me to so many people here in Harlem. Uh, what a great ministry. Uh, what a great worship experience that we've had here. Uh, what a great time of fellowship. And uh, what, a, what a great ministry. We get a chance to travel quite a bit. And this is one of the most giving ministries that we've ever fellowshiped with. And I'm not just saying that uh, because I happen to be standing before you uh, here today. You are extremely given extremely hospi uh, hospitable, and uh, we are so grateful. Uh, we'll be leaving uh, right after church, heading to uh, Columbia, South Carolina for a, a leadership meeting until Tuesday afternoon, and then Wednesday I'm flying to uh, San Antonio for our International Teachers Conference, and we'll be there to the following Saturday. So I'm glad this is the first part of my trip, and, the, the, and most of my energy that I have is, uh, is given here in Harlem. So again, thank you so much. Uh, for having us here. Uh, I just want to say a little bit about my, my wife, Tammy, my partner here. Uh, I, I looked at her the other day and I said, you know what? You know, God has blessed us. We are such a great team. And, uh, and the truth is, we, we met when I was 15. Uh, I'm 52. And uh, there's not much of my life uh, that's really any significant part, really, that does not include her. And uh, we've grown up together as teenagers and young adults, a uh, young married couple, then a couple with three small kids, and now uh, a couple with kids that we're hoping to uh, get out the house uh, as soon as they possibly can. But I, I love her so much, and uh, it's just great being able to be called to the ministry, uh, for starters, but to have this vocation that we get to work together and be together and enjoy the company of one another. God's grace has certainly been uh, just showered upon us, and I'm just thankful that she is here uh, with me today. And um, she's been able to share with me on Friday and Saturday, so anybody who was part of the singles and marriage, you've heard her speak and share, and, and she's, uh, she's strong and spiritual in her own right. Uh, so I am, again, grateful for us to be here. I want to say a prayer as we get into the Word of God here this morning. Uh, God, what a great day to be alive. And to be quickened by the Holy Spirit, you did not give us a spirit of timidity, but one of power, one of love, and one of self-control. And God, we thank you that by your grace we've been able to uh, assemble here on this day. And it's by your spirit and the gathering of the saints here that we can come together in your name and really lift you up and give you all the glory in our songs 
in the communion, in our prayer, and right now in your word. I pray for open minds and open hearts that you will do both inform and inspire and that you would use me, God, as your vessel. Help everything that I do and say lift up Jesus. The Bible says that when Jesus is lifted up, that he will draw all people to himself. And may Jesus continue to be lifted up during this worship time right now. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, uh, we lost an American hero, Miss Katherine Johnson, who lived to be 101 years old, passed away. She's not just an African-American woman, but she is a, an American hero in that she was a courageous pioneer that went unnoticed for many, many years. At 10 years old, she went to high school. At 14, she went to college. At 18, she graduated. She became a mathematician and spent her entire career working for NASA. And you might remember Katherine Johnson if any of you had the chance to see the movie Hidden Figures. And that movie was portrayed by Taraji P. Henderson, along with celebrating two other great pioneers, we were able to learn a lot about Katherine Johnson and how she became the really sole person there who used her mathematics skills to, before there were uh, real computers that we have today, human beings were called computers because they would compute things, and she was able to use math, intricate math, that we use machines for today to figure out the exact trajectory so that John Glenn could be out into outer space, and she was able to do that. And that was highlighted there. And I love the title of the movie Hidden Figures. And when I, I thought about her this week and I thought about her being a hidden figure, I started thinking about all the hidden figures there are in Scripture. We know the major players. We know Adam and Eve, and we know Moses. We know Noah and King David and Nehemiah and Isaiah and Elijah. We know the, uh, the apostles and the great prophets. We know Paul. We know Peter. We know John. They have books by them. Peter has a book in the Bible by him. John has several epistles. Uh, he has a book of Revelation, the apocalyptic literature. He has a gospel. We know Matthew. We know Mark. We know all these people. And so I started thinking about, you know, to God, it's not just major players because even those people that are in Scripture that we don't think about that mo much, God still had a calling on their lives. And so I thought about a figure this morning I want to preach about that you probably heard about, Simon of Cyrene, and, and how he's really a hidden figure in Scripture, but he speaks a lot to us. Simon of Cyrene does not get a book of the Bible. He is not quoted. There is no book of Simon. There are no quotes from Simon. In fact, the only thing that we hear about Simon of Cyrene is one verse. Today, I normally have stuff on the projector, but there's, there's one verse. I've never preached a sermon before and used one verse. Today is just one verse, and it's found in Mark, the 15th chapter, verse 21. And it simply says this. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him 
to carry the cross. That's it. That's all it is about Simon of Cyrene. We know his name. We know where he's from, Cyrene. And unless you are a really careful Bible student, you may just go, this is a dude named Simon. There are plenty of Simons. He was one of the Simons. He was from Cyrene. If you really want to know about Simon, you might Google Cyrene and figure out where that's located. But otherwise, we just read through this. A guy named Simon, we know he's from Cyrene. And when he came in, he was the guy that they forced to carry the cross. And if we only read that, and we only read that one verse, he remains a hidden figure in Scripture. But what I want to do this morning is I want to treat him like Catherine John. There's no movie, but he's a, he's a hidden figure that I want to pull out from the text. And I want us to be able to learn some things about Simon of Cyrene. First of all, think about this. Simon says that he was coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. Where is Cyrene? It's modern-day Libya. What was so significant about Cyrene during biblical times? History says there was a pocket of Jews that lived there in the northeastern part of Libya, modern-day Libya, and they were the Hebrews of Hebrews, and they were Jews. And so why is he coming to Jerusalem? Cyrene to Jerusalem is a 900-mile trip. With no planes, no trains, and no automobiles. This was not a journey that you just jumped on a flight and maybe had another layover and then got to your destination. It was not something simple like that. Simon of Cyrene was a Jew that lived at least anywhere, they think, from 30 to 90 days away. This would be like us talking about the vision conference perhaps in Orlando and making trips to go there. This was Simon of Cyrene. There were other Jews who lived in the proximity of Jerusalem, and every year they would go to Passover because their distance of travel was not that far. But this was not Simon. Simon had to get together and save his money. He had to make plans to be out of work for 90 days. This trip was not something that he was going to do every year. This was something that might have been a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. And he had been saving up his whole life. You've got to use your imagination for a moment. And he made plans in his calendar. He knew the exact time to leave. He knew how long he had to travel each day to get there. There was no hotels, no rest stops. And so he had to make sure he had enough food and enough money that he could take care of himself every single day so that at some point he would finally make it to Jerusalem? And who wouldn't want to go to Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the city where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. It was the city that King David made his capital. It was the city where uh, the, the great prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, prophesied to and about it was the city where Nehemiah had come in and rebuilt the wall and where Ezra had restored the people as the great priest. It was the place where the, the temple, Harris Temple, was being built, and this was the greatest structure on earth. This was the place where all the Jews had come from. And so this guy was going back to his ancestral land and to his people, and he had saved up for it. And he begins to make the trip, and it's arduous. It's through the desert. 
It's hot. Lacks water. There was danger from bandits. And people taking advantage of those they knew were traveling. They had to bribe to make sure that they would get their resources in need because they were in need as they made a way. And then he travels. Again, I want you to imagine traveling for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And then finally, you look and you see this city on the hill. I've been to Jerusalem twice. And as you drive into Jerusalem, because of the structure of the buildings, and Jerusalem sits on a hill, and it looks like the city is glowing. And so after all this travel, Simon finally gets to the point where he can see Jerusalem in a distance. And he starts to get excited. He's never been there before. And he's not traveling by himself. Historians say that hundreds of thousands of people made their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. So people are coming, and as they see Jerusalem, they're starting to high-five and get excited. And then pretty soon, they've been walking slow, and they, they get a little pep in their step because they're finally getting to the city of God. This is a big deal. This is on his bucket list. And he's getting there. And as he's getting closer to the city, he's walking. And everybody's getting all excited. And, and all of a sudden, they, they, get, they walk into the city. The gates are open. And there are people everywhere. Just everywhere. Crowds. This is unbelievable. He has never seen this many people in his life. And it's people from all over the known world. Jews are coming home. There's different nationalities and ethnicities. And there's food cooking. It's just a huge celebration. And he walks in and he's ready to take the Passover in Jerusalem, in the holy city, and to be there with real priests and other people from around the world. And then all of a sudden he hears a commotion. And it's no longer celebration, but it's about violence. And people are screaming and yelling about kill him, kill him, kill him. And Simon looks around and goes, kill who? Who, who are they going to kill? And they say part of the celebration today is we're, we're going to have executions for anybody who has violated the power of Rome. And we're going to show you the power. Now, you Jews, you can celebrate, and you can have your party and do all of that, but we're going to show you the power of Rome, and we're going to march these criminals through, and we're going to kill them on Golgotha. And people are yelling, killing. And so Simon's sitting there in the crowd going, what is going on? He's never been here before. Then in the midst of the crowd, a Roman soldier looks to Simon. Maybe Simon is, is built like James. If I was in a crowd and I saw James, I would pull him to carry the cross. And Simon is there, and he's just standing, and he's ready to take the Passover. And the Roman soldier comes up to him and says, hey, you. Simon looks around. No, 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 you. Yeah, you. Come here. He walks up. He's thinking, the Romans were powerful. They were the authority. And he walks up, and he's... He's a little bit fearful, a little bit excited. And the guy goes, hey, I want you, come here, come here, follow me. And he moves him through the crowd. And I can imagine Simon coming up for the first time and seeing this bloody man just ripped apart, flesh 
blood. You can see a trail of blood. And you see this man on the ground with the cross crawling. And just and they're going, what? He's looking, what is going on here? And the Roman soldier says, go pick up that cross. Simon said, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just here for the pet. I don't care why you're here. Pick up that cross. And he goes, oh, if I touch that cross, I'll be labeled unclean. And if I'm labeled unclean, I can't take the Passover. And I didn't traveled this far. I didn't sacrifice this much. I've saved money. I put this in my schedule. I left my family back. I've been traveling for three months, and I'm finally here. Now, he's not saying this because he's not going to speak back to the Roman power. But deep down inside, he is like, I want you to, ah, can't you pick somebody else to carry this cross? Pick up the cross. And maybe the Roman soldier shows us his weapon. Pick up the cross. And he goes over, and he, he gets there, and he takes it. He doesn't know really who Jesus is, don't know why they're doing this. He picks up the cross, and it's heavy. He's surprised that this man has gone this far. And maybe he's thinking, if this dude is bleeding, will I bleed? If I pick up this cross, is that going to hurt me? Is this going to take the life out of me? He picks it up out of fear. He loads it, realizes it's heavy, and he begins to say, man, what a waste of trip. Come this far, and I'm not even going to be able to take the Passover. And he keeps walking, and he keeps walking. And as he's walking, carrying the cross, that man is crawling next to him. And Simon is surprised he ain't dead yet. And as they begin to walk together, walking with Jesus, he becomes to, he looks down and goes, what a strong man. What a tenacious man. What a courageous man. Who is this man? And they make it to Golgotha. And the cross goes back to Jesus, and he dies on it for us. If you just read that verse 21 in chapter 15, Simon the Serene was forced to carry the cross. But if you use your holy imagination, like I just tried to do and walk through what it would really be like, you realize that, that there could be a whole lot of other verses here that can really explain Simon of Cyrene. I want to share three lessons with you today that I think we get from Simon that we don't get from just verse 21. And the first one is this. Simon teaches us what it means to cross paths with Jesus. In verse 21 it says that Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country. He's coming from Cyrene into Jerusalem. Jesus is in the heart of Jerusalem going out to Golgotha or the Mount of Calvary. 
This is the path that we all have been on. We were going one way, and Jesus was coming this way, and at some point in our lives, maybe in a not-too-distant path, that we cross paths with the risen Lord. And when we cross paths with Jesus, it was a time we see in Luke 9 and Luke 14 where Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross. And sometimes we find Jesus, and sometimes Jesus finds us. And we cross paths with the risen Lord, and our lives are changed forever. For me, it was 1993 in the summer. I still remember the intersection of Cobb Parkway and Windy Hill. I didn't meet Jesus and Jesus himself, but I met one of his disciples. I was going into Kinko's doing some stuff for work, and two disciples walked out. We crossed paths. And they said, hey, I want to invite you to a Bible study. And I said, what is it? They go, it's Friday. And at the time, Tam and I were already hosting a Bible study in our house. We'd only done one, and it was bad. And he said, I want you to come to my Bible study on a Friday. And I said, yes, I'll come. And I decided to come because I was going to go figure out what he did and then come back and do my Bible study the next week. Never happened. I went to his Bible study. It was amazing. Two days later, we started sitting down and studying the Scriptures. Our paths had crossed. I was on a path. I was going into Kinko's because I was working for Smith Klein Beach and Pharmaceuticals, and I was up for a promotion, and I was going to do a presentation on the next day, and I was in there getting some copies made because that presentation was going to triple my salary. I was on the road, not of self-sacrifice, but of self-greed and money and, and, and promotion. This meant a lot to me, and that changed I've been in ministry 25 years. I, tell you, I will never make money in the ministry that I made as a, an employee at the age of 26. I made more money then than I've ever made in my whole life. And it all changed at Cobb Parkway in Windy Hill. When a guy named Chris Dunn said, I want to invite you to a Bible study. And I came, and it changed my life forever. I've now been in the ministry for 25 years. I was at Cobb Parkway in Windy Hill to do a presentation, then to apply later on to business school at Harvard, because that would help me make money. Twenty-five and a half years later, I'm standing before you. You see how when you cross paths with Jesus, it changes you? Simon shows us what it's like to encounter the risen Lord. Thank God there was nobody there that said, Ben, pick up that cross. Nobody forced me to. I looked down and said, you know what? I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus, unless you carry your cross daily, you cannot be my disciple. And so I put on that cross. And on December 1st, 1993, I got in the waters of baptism and said that Jesus is Lord. And so for the last 26 years or so, I've been having this cross on my back. It's a, it's a heavy cross at times. I'll talk about that in a moment. But I put the cross on, and it has changed my life. If I had not met Jesus at Cobb Parkway and Windy Hill, I can tell you right now, this awesome, beautiful woman that I have would not be with me. If I had not been at that intersection, she would be remarried with children. I would not have children. No, I would have children. It wouldn't be with us. And it might have been with a whole bunch of people. 
I'm just being real. If I had not been at that intersection on my way going this way and Jesus coming this way, do you feel me? And you cross paths with Jesus and he changes your life. And we get to pick up the cross and we get to follow him. Romans 5, 6, for at the right time, for the right time, when we were still sinners, God was thinking about us and working with us to get us saved and brought into his kingdom. The second thing Simon teaches us is that we need to be able to carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. And this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, the Greek word for burden in Galatians 6 is baro. B-A-R or baro. And what it means is, it doesn't mean a weight. It means a burden. And what it means is a heavy weight. And some translations is a bone-crushing weight. I remember years ago I was watching on TV. This guy was trying to set the world record in squats. And he got under there and he put the, I don't know how many plates he had on the bar, but it was so much weight on the bar that the bar was literally bending. It was bending around his shoulders. And he went down and he squatted the weight. I said, wow, that's the weight of like five grown men. And as he was coming up, you heard a snap. And all of a sudden, the bone in his quad popped out of the skin. And the weight was so heavy that five or six people around him could barely get the weight so he would not crush him. And I just saw him sitting there with his bone crushed. That's a burden. When we read about burdens in the Bible, they are bone-crushing pressures. How many of you know people that got pressures on their life right now? How many of you got pressures on your life right now? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11, he says, look, cast all your worries and anxieties, cast all that stuff on me, take my yoke upon you. My burden is what? Light. Jesus, my burden is light. I'll come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. So Jesus wants our burdens, but as human beings, we go through life and sometimes we just have burdens that are bone crushing. And, and we need to be able to step in and take the burden off people. And I wonder sometimes if we do that eagerly and voluntarily, or do we need a Roman soldier or some other leader around us forcing us to love and to serve and to meet the needs of other people? Or do we voluntarily just go about getting under and helping people relieve their burdens? About 10 years ago, um, there was a, a couple, well, I'll just say a family in our ministry. The wife was a Christian. She had four daughters, one in college, one in high school, one in middle school, and one in elementary school. I never met the husband. He never came to church, never saw him. We were about the same age. Our kids, their kids were a little bit older, but they had four girls, just a beautiful family. Uh, they served in the church. They did everything. Then one day I get a call, and it says, uh, this guy said his name. I don't know who it is. He found out he has stage four pancreatic cancer. And he wants to see you. I got to pick up the phone and call other people to figure out who this guy is. And they said, oh, he's married to so-and-so. 
And for a moment, I was thought, she married? Because I never met him. I said, has he ever come to church? No, he don't come to church. He don't do church. So I get to the hospital. The whole room is packed full of people. And I'm trying to make my way in the room. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I found him. And the first time I see him, he's in the hospital bed. He has staples everywhere. He's bloated because he's just really inflamed. He's sitting there. And I remember we made eye contact. And he looked up and he says, hey, Ben. And I said, hey, and I said his name. First time I ever saw him. He says, look, everybody, I'm going to need you guys to clear the room. My pastor just showed up. I'm not, I'm not, my pastor just showed up. And I, I go, it's amazing when you're on your deathbed, you, you don't need no surgeon, you don't need no nurse, you don't need your mama, you need your pastor, even if you ain't met him yet. He said, I got to talk to my pastor. So I walked up to the bed, and I'm going to be gracious, and I said, I know you wanted to see me. Here I am. It's great to meet you. And he immediately jumped into the conversation, started weeping. He said, oh, my God, I just, they've given me 14 days tops to live. This was at around Christmas, which meant he would die around Christmas. He says, look, I have messed up. I'm so ashamed. I'm just this. He says, I never came to church. I was wrong, and I, and I know I'm on my deathbed, and I, but you've you got to help me, Pastor. And I said, so what would you like me to do? He says, I need some input because I have been living file. I've been doing all of this. My wife don't know none of this stuff. I've got to make all that right. I said, so what do you want to do? He says, I've got to talk to her. I said, you've got to talk to your wife. You're going to wait till you're dying. And you want to talk to your wife? I said, no, 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 no. No, we're not doing that. He says, but I got to get this off me. I said, we got, we're not doing that. He says, so, so what? I'm, I'm going I'm to talk to her. I said, no, you're not. You're not going to throw up all this stuff on her and then leave. It's not fair to her. That's not loving. I said, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit right here beside your bed. And you're going to tell me everything you wanted to tell her and everything you wanted to get off your chest. I'm telling you, when he finished, I was sick. I was like the dude in the green mile. <coughs> I just, hey, all that stuff just came into my spirit. And, and James probably know this. When you are a minister, there are sometimes people will tell you things they ain't never told nobody. And there's been times people have told me some stuff I wish I didn't know that. You're like, ah, hey, that's, confess that to Jesus. I, I can't walk around. I, I got to see you next week. I'm like, you, you might not come to the house no more. I'm like, you, I don't want to know everything. It's a lot of, that's a lot of burden. Confession. Man, so he just put that stuff. Literally, I walked out the room. I had to sit in my car. I had to drink some water. I like to rehydrate and pray. I was like, man, it's just yucky. Long story short, we baptized him. And he, and he died in 10 days. He died. And, and I remember being at the funeral, and I walked into the room, and just to set this up where you understand what it was, I was the only black person. This was a white family, and his family was there at the funeral 
and was surprised when I walked in to do the funeral. And, and the wife goes, here's the minister. And, I went, and he going to lead us in prayer. And everybody was looking around like, whoa. And so the sister said, listen, we all loved him. He is, he is not here. This is my minister, my pastor. He, he is running things. She said, he is running things today. And so I did the prayer. And she goes, can I talk to you for a minute? She was a very strong sister. I said, sure. I went around. She said, come here. And she's walking me down the, the back of the funeral, like way in the back. I was like, where are we going? We get around a corner. She looks around the corner. She turns back to me like that, and she passed out in my arms. She passed out. And I was just holding her. It was all her weight. And I'm just, I was holding her for, like, and then finally she got up. And all, everything, it just all came upon her. She's a little woman. I was like, she's, she's a little woman, she's, but she's heavy. This is a, it was all, all that emotional burden. And I remember thinking about carry each other's burdens. For you fulfill the law of Christ. I still was thinking about all the stuff her husband had confessed to me. Stuff she didn't know about. And I'm holding her in the back. And they're waiting for us to start the funeral. And I held her for about 15 to 20 minutes. She came back up. She says, thank you. Sometimes you just got to be there for people and to hold people and their burdens. The third thing, and the final thing here, is Simon teaches us the importance of legacy. And you might not get this if you don't really just take one verse and really dig into it. It says, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. You could just read through that. It's like, who, who's Alexander? Who's Rufus? Okay, we know the guy was a father. And not pay attention to who Alexander and Rufus is. But Mark thinks it's very important to mention that this guy was a father. And that he had at least two sons. So he's not just someone that's being forced to carry the cross and to carry burdens. He's a father of two sons. Well, the Gospel of Mark is actually written to a Roman audience. And there, in Romans 16, Paul has this last chapter there. It's this great theological book. Chapter 16, I call it the shout-out chapter. So in that chapter, he's like, greet so-and-so, greet Priscilla and Aquila. And he goes through and he says, greet. There's actually 33 people that's listed in Romans 16. There's 24 men, there's nine women. Two of the women are not named. One, he says, nourish sister. And then another one we're going to talk about here he, in Romans 16, verse 13. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. If you read Romans 16, Rufus is just one of those 33 people, right? Rufus is significant. 
Because people believe, and there's a lot of evidence for this, there will be footnoted a lot of details, even historical records, would say that this Rufus was the son of Simon. So he says, greet Rufus. So if we understand Paul saying greet Rufus, he doesn't mention Simon, which may mean Simon is dead by this time, but he mentions his mother, who's still alive. He doesn't say Alexander. Maybe Alexander's passed on. Maybe Alexander's not even a disciple. But he doesn't mention Alexander, but he does say, greet Rufus and his mom. And apparently, Simon went back home and back to his family. And Simon had a testimony, and Rufus had a testimony. Legacy is anything we leave of value to the next generation. Simon was a father. And from all accounts, it looks like at least one of his children became a faith chosen in the Lord, a faithful one, along with the mother. That Paul later on, a half a generation later, said, Greet Rufus, who was chosen in the Lord. You know, I, I want you to think for a moment what it must have been like for, to hear the testimony of both Rufus and Simon. Let's take Simon's testimony for a moment. He is known now as the guy that carried the cross. And so when he started walking around, maybe people saw him and go, Hey, you look familiar. Aren't you the Simon that they pulled out? And Simon said, yep, that's me. And for a while, maybe Simon felt guilty because he participated in the crucifixion. Maybe Simon goes back home and he's there for a few days and he ain't acting right. And Rufus and Alexander, I don't know what their ages might be, but they're in the house running around. They notice something different about their father. He's quiet. He's withdrawn. He's not talking to mama. And for several days, they don't, they don't understand what is going on. And finally, they say, so they, they know something's up. What happened in Jerusalem? And he sits down and says, look, sit down. I went there for the Passover. You guys know I, this, this is my bucket list. You need to know what I'm going to tell you because you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear that your father participated in the crucifixion. But hear me out. I did not volunteer to kill that man. I was forced to do it. Now, Alexander and Rufus, I, I want you to understand, too, that in life you're going to be forced to do stuff. And you got to make a decision. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't know what decision I was making. I was afraid that if I, if I didn't pick up that cross, that that Roman soldier was going to kill me and you wouldn't see me today. And so I made the best decision that I could at the time. And so when your friends and the other people and when the social media goes out and the newspapers and the Internet start posting that Simon of Cyrene helped with the crucifixion, I want you to understand, I wanted you to hear it from me first. Let me tell you, I grabbed that cross. It was, it was unbearable. I don't know. But I met a man that was under it, and he couldn't carry it. 
And, and I don't know why these people wanted to kill him, but I'm telling you, God's honest truth, that when I picked it up and, I, and he crawled next to me and he left a trail of blood, I just, I kept going and going and going and I felt so guilty and I felt so much shame and I just wept and I was broken when they finally nailed him and he hung up there. Other people were leaving and going back home and I'm just, I, I stayed there. I don't know why, but I, just, I stayed at the foot of the cross and I didn't go nowhere. Three days later, oh my God, I stayed there for three days later. You're not going to believe this. That dude, he came out of the tombs. He was alive. And, I, and, and look, if it wasn't for you guys, I would have stayed in Jerusalem. But I had to come back home. And I'm telling you, that man changed my life. He is Jesus. He is Lord. He is Savior. He died. He was buried. I was there. He was resurrected. I, I'm an eyewitness to it. I'm a participant in it. I'm a participant. And he is alive. And look, and, and, and maybe he comes back and goes, look, so here's what we're going to do. Pack your stuff. Pack up right now. Because we are we're going to turn around, we are going back to Jerusalem, and we're going to find this man, and we are never, ever, you got to meet him. I'm telling you, he'll know who I am. He will know who I am because I was there with him. He will know me, and because he knows me, he will know you, and I want all my family to know Jesus. And he takes them back. At some point, we don't know how long he was faithful. I don't think Simon ever left. I don't think he ever left Jesus. And his faith passed on to Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And then people came up to Rufus. Rufus, hey, wait a minute. Is your daddy Simon? <laughs> yep, it's my daddy. You know, there's a lot of Simons. Yeah, he's the one from Cyrene. Yep, Simon's my daddy, uh, my hero. He did what nobody else would do or could do. Let me tell you something. My dad went off to Jerusalem. He came back different. He came back and loving my mom, loving me, loving Alexander. Our family became missional. We packed up. We left Cyrene. He, he went there, Simon of Cyrene, and then he became Simon of the cross. And we all moved to Jerusalem, and man, we, our family became a part of this great ministry and fellowship there in Jerusalem, and we started following Jesus, and we've been doing that ever since. And I'm telling you, the, 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 the best thing about my father is that he was my hero. He was my spiritual model. There is nobody like my father, Simon. I want to be Simon for my kids. I want to be Simon for my church. I want to have that powerful testimony that says back in 1993, I picked up the cross, and I've been carrying it ever since. I want my kids to look at I want my kids two, three decades from now, Lord, if I'm living, it'd be awesome. If not, for my kids, they love. Was your daddy Ben Barnett? Yep. 
That was my daddy. Faithful, cross-bearing, minister, serving, loving. Not that I was rich and not that I provided so much for my family, but I leave them a legacy that is spiritual. So today, in light of the word that we have heard, I want you to think back to the day that you crossed paths with Jesus. And may we leave today as his disciples, being his representatives, knowing that out there in the world somewhere else, there is someone that we're supposed to cross paths with. I want you to leave today thinking about carrying the burdens of other people. While we ourselves might be overwhelmed with our own burdens, we can trust that Jesus will take those away and we can be in position to help our brothers and sisters lift those bone-crushing burdens that they may have. And then finally, I want us to live in a way that leaves a legacy of faith for our families and our communities. God bless you, and thank you so much for allowing Tammy and I to spend this week with you. And to God be the glory.